You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Good morning, everybody. Would you like this iPad? Otherwise, I'm tempted to play solitaire or something for the next half hour. Great to see you all. Thanks so much for, for being here that we could just join together and, uh, and, and be together, connect with each other. It's a huge part of being uh, the body of Christ. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew uh, 16, 21 to 23 today. Just a, a few verses, but they are, like all of uh, Scripture, they're rich for us. Just to uh, set the stage, let me tell you, let you in a little bit more into my life. If, if I was to uh, invite you over to my home for a tour, which would be very short, by the way, uh, what you would find is a, uh, a museum of really good intentions. That, that, that's it's the way that, it's just the way that I'm wired. If I was to take you into my, uh, a bedroom that we convert into an office for myself, you would find stacks of books lined up along the wall that I had intended to put on eBay months ago. Um, if I would take you downstairs, um, which my wife would probably not let me take you down there, into our storage room, um, but uh, you would find a, a, a model airplane kit that I purchased in 1999 uh, with really good intentions that someday uh, my children were going to fly model airplanes with me. Um, I'm sorry, son. Uh, it, it has not happened. It hasn't even been put together. It's, it was half put together a number of times, but we keep moving it around in all of our moves, and I, it's broken, and it's never going to get fixed. But it's still there because I have a hope that someday. And right under that model airplane is a door that was supposed to go into our bathroom a couple of years ago, um, but right now it's just a door that leads to a broken model airplane kit, I guess. And that door is right behind, I'm ashamed to say it, um, a treadmill and a total gym, and weights that are too heavy for me. There's a whole lot of stuff in there that at one point in time I had really good intentions of, of using uh, or doing something with, and I just, I just never got around to it. My focus uh, changed. At one point in time, my heart was all in, uh, but things happened, and it's just not there anymore. Without a, a proper understanding of the Word of God, and the scriptures, it can be so easy to, to really have a desire. I want to be all in, Jesus. Uh, but the things of this world come along, uh, and they distract us, and they pull us away from it. And it has damaging results. So in, intention is the word that I want to use to just help us to understand this text just a little more today. So if you would, let's stand together. I want to read for you verses 21 to 23 of Matthew 16. Matthew writes this, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let's pray. 
So, Father, as we spend a few uh, moments um, just kind of digging a little bit deeper into this text, would you, your Holy Spirit, reveal to us what it is that we need to know for where we are in our journey with you right now. So thank you that we're here. Thank you that we uh, have the opportunity to dig into your word. I pray that, that you would lead, that, that my words would be words that you give me. So give us all, Father, clear minds, open hearts. Uh, we thank you for who you are and that you desire a relationship with us. Amen. You could have a seat. So let's talk about, first of all, what Jesus, what Jesus did. Now, really quick catch up. If you've missed the last couple of weeks, Jesus is now making his way from uh, the Gentile region of, Ga- of Galilee. He's making his way down uh, back home to Capernaum. But there was a moment that we studied last week where really it was a pivotal moment where the disciples finally proclaimed and Jesus affirmed that he was the holy anointed Messiah sent by God to rescue the world. Now, that all wasn't all explained in that conversation between Peter and Jesus, but knowing the ancient scriptures and the prophecies about him, Peter said, you are truly the Son of Man. You are the Christ. You are the Anointed One. You are the Messiah. To which Jesus responded, uh, you are Peter. You are a rock. There's just this affirmation. of You, you, you get it. Now we understand Peter and the disciples will not fully understand uh, who Jesus fully is until after his resurrection, but it was a pretty good start. It was a proclamation, and it sends us now into really the second half of the book of Matthew as Jesus now makes his way to Jerusalem to give his life up, as he explains here, uh, for our sins. Uh, more and more details will will. Uh, come to pass as we study through the remaining chapters. Um, but it's almost as though uh, uh, all at once uh, would um, the, the disciples, it would be too much for them to understand it. So there will be three times where Jesus will proclaim to them about what his end on this earth is going to look like. And each and every one of them is going to just expose a little more detail to them. Today, I kind of want to just lump them all together. Uh, they get a little bit shorter as we move. There's one that's found in, in Matthew 17, uh, verses 22 and 23. The other is in Matthew 20, uh, verses 17 through 19. And in all three of them, it's Jesus revealing to his disciples that this is what needs to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to give up my life. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be unjustly put on trial. I will uh, be flogged and I will be beaten. Uh, I will be hung on a cross. And I will die. And I will rise from the grave. And so this would have been a lot for them to accept and swallow as we see from Peter's reaction. But, but Jesus was revealing to them of what had to take place. Now, uh, as we walk through this, what I want us to understand is I think the key word in this text today is the word must. This is what Jesus says. He said, I must go to Jerusalem. And then the must would just be attached to everything else. Uh, I, I must be handed over to these religious leaders. I must be killed. And on the third day, I, the good news, I, I must uh, be raised. What this means in Jesus saying this is that in order to fulfill 
uh, what God has already ordained. In order to fulfill the reason why I came, I have to do this. There, there's, no, there's no question about it. Out of full obedience to the Father, I must make sure that this takes place. It's why he came. He, he says that in, in John chapter 5, verse 19. He says, I only do the will of the Father. I, I, every action, everything that Jesus did was ordained by God, chosen by God. And Jesus lived his life out of obedience, left the glory of heaven, came down to this earth, lived a perfect life out of full obedience to the Father so that he could be our sacrifice to save us from ourselves, from our sin, and an eternity of separation from God. I must come and suffer. I must come and die, and I must come back to life. Now, we typically spend a lot of time, for good reason, uh, focused on Jesus' death and his resurrection. But we don't often talk uh, about the significance of what he explained to the disciples that he had to suffer. It wasn't just the fact that his suffering was that he would die, but there was, there was a lot that went on before Jesus' last breath, before his proclamation that it was finished. When you study it, when you take a look at it, we know that, that the reason that he had to suffer, why must he suffer? One was because, because it was prophesied endlessly, Throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, God said this is how it is going to happen. This is what's going to take place. It's by His wounds that we will be healed. That He will be beaten beyond recognition. There, over and over again, Scripture says this is who the Messiah will be and this is what will take place. And so Jesus is, says, I have to go because I have to fulfill all that has been said about me. But then that should raise the question for us, well, why, why did God have to do it that way? I mean, why, 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 couldn't, I mean, why couldn't he just, couldn't be like John the Baptist, just a quick, you know, almost a, almost a painless death? Isaiah 53, 3 says that he would be despised, rejected by man. He would be a man of sorrows, that he would become familiar with suffering. In other words, that, that he would experience suffering uh, to the fullest extent and it's told to us in hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory in other words to work out the process of, of our redemption that god would make the founder of salvation perfect through suffering that that's that's how our salvation would be offered to us and available to us would be through uh, being Jesus being made perfect through suffering. Now, don't misinterpret that. We know that Jesus was sinless. We read about that. Morally, he did no wrong. Hebrews 4.15 says that. But it's the intense suffering that he went through that was his ability to, to become the fullest the complete sacrifice for us through a complete obedience to the Father. Sin is disobedience. We can all admit that, that our sin often 
It rears its head when, when we face, I can say it for myself, when I face even the slightest of discomfort in whatever that looks like in our life. We, we look to, how can I get out of this as quickly as possible? And we are so willing in our humanity to sacrifice our soul to do it. Whatever, whatever it takes for me to not have to deal with this, I'll do it. I, I want out any hint of emotional or material or physical discomfort. But for the Father, for God the Father, the Holy One, to accept a, a perfect sacrifice for our sins, there would need to be the strongest of tests of obedience for Jesus to, to represent each and every one of us. John Piper describes it as, as just that, the worst of attested obedience at any given time. Jesus, being fully man in his full humanity, because we might read about what it is that he goes through, and usually around Good Friday and Easter, a, a lot of pastors talk about the description of the suffering that Jesus went through, and and I know that for a lot of us, our minds kind of go to, yeah, but but he was God, right? So, so he, he was able to endure it. But Jesus took our punishment. The only way he could be our sacrifice was that in his full humanity, he would take on all of that punishment. And what he took on is worse than anything that could be described. And he says, I, I have to go do this. I have to suffer. I have to endure shame. I have to endure being innocently put on trial and unjustly sentenced to death. I have to be flogged, as he will say in, in chapter 20, his skin ripped off of his body, beaten to the point of exhaustion, the worst kind of slow execution that anybody could experience by being hung on a cross. And he did it with a willing desire to be obedient to the Father. If this is what you've sent me for, if this is what I need to do in order to be obedient to you, to fulfill your will and your desire to rescue your people, then I'll endure it. I'll take it. I'll handle it. We even read that in his time in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed and he begged the Father, please don't, please don't make me go through with this. I don't want it. If there's another way, can we make it happen? And God says, there is no other way. And Jesus says, so, so I'll be obedient to you. I will stay strong. And through it becomes the complete sacrifice for our sins. Because he endured the worst of punishments so that we wouldn't have to. That he would, he would represent us. He would become the propitiation for our sins. And he did what none of us could do. Because I will tell you, I, I, I think to myself, at what point in all that, that went on in Jesus' suffering, his trial, his arrest, at what point would I have bailed? And it probably would have been when I heard the soldiers coming. Right? Jesus endured it all. He took it upon himself to be that sacrifice. He stood firm. He did not just as powerful as it is, he did not just die 
for our sins, but he willingly, as he told the disciples, I have to go. He chose it to bring God glory. And he faced the injustice of, of man. Uh, he never stood up and said, whoa, 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 this isn't right. I didn't do anything wrong. But he became the suffering servant that was required for us to be able to be restored to the Father. And he fulfilled the mission to come, as he says in Matthew 20, 28, to give his life as a ransom for many. He paid the only price that could be paid for our sin intentionally. Peter was not so thrilled about this news. Uh, uh, Peter's response was, as we talk about intention, Peter did what he felt he needed to do. From what he kind of, uh, I, I would say, uh, ignorantly knew or believed about who the Messiah would be. It's amazing, as we talked about it last week, the conversation had just really ended. You know, Peter, who do you say that I am? Oh, you're the, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're, you're the Savior. Yeah, Peter, you're a rock. And, and then Jesus says, so, but I've got to I share with you what's about to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to be arrested and put on trial. and I'm going to be beaten and whipped and flogged, and I'm going to die, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to rise again. But notice as we read it, um, Peter doesn't say anything about the resurrection. He's too focused on the bad news. At least that's how he viewed it. And, and he immediately goes after Jesus. And it says that he, he rebuked him. He went from worshiping him to cursing him, because that's what a rebuke is. A rebuke is far more than just a stern, you know, shame on you. It means to scold or to criticize. We haven't seen this yet, and I, I wouldn't want to be the one to be in the room when somebody got in Jesus' face and scolded him for what he had to say or criticized him. My version, I read out of the ESV, uh, says uh, that Peter's rebuke was, far be it from you, Lord. Which sounds like, well, that's not so bad. That doesn't sound like a rebuke. But actually, I mean, if you look in the footnotes of, of my Bible, it says, may God be merciful to you, Lord. And that doesn't even do it justice. Because what that makes it sound like is that Peter accepts it and goes, well, may God, may God be merciful to you. May it not be as bad as you think it's going to be. right? That's, but that's not what Peter was saying. What Peter was actually saying, if you would take the language and you would interpret it, is what, what Peter is saying is, may God forgive you for what just came out of your mouth. May, may God have mercy on your soul for what you just said. What Peter was doing was now was solely humanizing Jesus. You're, you're going to need repentance for what you just said. He just said that to the Messiah, to the Savior that he had proclaimed earlier. The reason was, is because we know this, the disciples, Peter, did not have a full understanding yet of what Messiah meant, what it meant for Jesus to be the anointed one. They wouldn't understand this till after the resurrection. Their belief, and, and they were following Jesus, they were learning every day, more and more was exposed to them, but at this point in time, Peter was still under the belief that, that Jesus was going to be an, the earthly king that was going to come and was going to rescue 
Israel. And in doing so, we're gonna, was going to do away with the Roman oppression and their enemies. And the disciples, being the closest to Jesus, would then all, they believed that, and we'll look at this in a few weeks, but they believed that they would kind of become kind of like the knights of the round table. Right, right? You're going to be king, and we're going to be there with you, and finally we're going to have our day where we get to be in power, where we get to say how everybody's going to live, where, where we get to be in control. So shame on you, Jesus, for saying that you're going to die, because what you're saying means that you're, going to, you're risking everything that I'm hoping for, everything that I want, and everything that I need. So may God forgive you, because you have to be on the throne in order to fulfill the mission, but Peter didn't quite understand fully what the mission was. His intention was good. I believe that you are the king, or at least going to be the king, but it was misguided and misunderstood. And then he speaks words that really get under Jesus' skin. He says, this will never happen to you. In other words, I will never let this happen to you. Well, we know at, at the smallest sign of trouble, Peter let it happen. But, he, but no, no, this is not going to happen. Don't say it. It's not going to. Jesus' response is harsh and quick, sharp. Get behind me, Satan. Satan. He went from calling him a rock to now uh, he's calling him the devil himself. It's the same words actually that Jesus spoke in chapter 4 verse 10 when he was being tempted by the devil out in the desert. And Jesus says, get behind me. In, in other words, I don't want to see your face. For, for Peter, it would have been, look, Peter, your role is not to tell me what to do. Your role is to get behind me and follow me wherever we go. And I say we're going to Jerusalem. And I'm going to give up my life. And so you're going to follow me all the way there and, and beyond. And I, I, I read that and we shake our heads at Peter. But I think, man, I am that so often. Hey, uh, God, uh, let me tell you about my day and all that I have coming up and the people that I got to meet with. And, and so here's what, here's what I'm going to do, all right? And so... If you want to come along, feel free, or I could really use you in some of these areas. But it's basically me so often telling God what He's going to do for me. And, and Jesus is saying to Peter, how dare you try to thwart the plans of... I am following after the will of the Father. And what you're doing is you're trying to thwart the plans of God in my life. And that makes you the enemy. Because that's what the enemy's job is. You're a hindrance to me, he says. The Greek word is scandalon. Obviously, we get the word scandal from that. It's a horrible thing. Or it, it also can be interpreted as a stumbling block. Peter, Peter, you are the rock. Actually, now, Peter, you are, you're a small stone that's an annoyance that, that, that is going to cause me to trip and fall if you keep this up. In other words, you've become the tempter. You've now been the one that's trying to entice me to change the plans to change what it is that I've come for. And you need to be behind me, out of the way. And as I said, it's amazing that Peter, Peter missed the resurrection that Jesus said. And after three days, I will rise again. He didn't fully 
comprehend what it is that Jesus was saying, that he would defeat all of it. That's what he was saying. I will go to Jerusalem. I will be arrested. I will, be, I will suffer at the hands of the religious leaders of the day. I will die. But then, but don't worry, because it's all going to lead to an empty grave. I'm going to conquer death, and it's all for all of humanity. And Peter missed it, but it's all God's design and His plan to get to that grave so that that stone could be rolled away and eternal life offered to everyone. Peter, don't you dare try to thwart the plans of God. Don't tell me what to do. There's application for Peter and for us about what needs to happen. Jesus makes it really clear. He says to Peter, Peter, you're thinking with the mind of man. You're thinking only from an earthly perspective. You're seeing me only for what you want me to be and what, honestly, what you are going to get out of it. You're thinking from a human perspective, which is interesting because we go back to the conversation last week that he had with Peter there in um, uh, Caesarea Philippi. And what was Jesus' response? He said, you know, you've spoken correctly, Peter. You're so wise. And he said, but I know that you didn't come up with this with your own flesh and blood, with your own, with a human mind, but, but you have now spoken what the Lord has revealed to you. And now it's flipped. He said, Peter, you're back to, you're back to chasing your own desires and, and your own wants. Who you, who you want me to be because of what it will offer you. You want me to be the king over just this nation so that it'll give you position and, and it'll in some way be just an incredible blessing to you. And again, I can say that that goes on in our world today. So many people talk about and, and, and discuss that when we got to get our nation back to God so that we can be blessed. No, you're blessed because you follow God. The end, the end goal is always Jesus. It's always God. It's not, no, so, so that we can live a more comfortable life Right? So we gotta, we got to make sure that everybody follows the Bible so that, so that we can make sure that things get more comfortable for us. That everybody would just obey what the Word of God says. Jesus said, go and make disciples right, of all nations. Right? It's, a great, it's a great country that we live in. I love it. The freedoms that we have. But what we're called to do is we're called to go and, and make disciples of all nations for the sake of obedience to God and for His glory, period. Not for what we're going to get out of it. But honestly, it's so that what God will get out of it, His glory, when people come to follow Jesus Christ. We have to think with the mind of God and not with mere human minds of what am I going to get out of this. What Peter had done is really rejected the holy wisdom and plan of God that was laid out from the beginning of time, very clear in Scripture. And he began thinking selfishly. This is, isn't going to happen, and I'm not uh, going to let it. Jesus is more than a mere 
earthly king that offers comfort. He is the creator of the universe, the one that is enthroned above all, right now making intercession for us, and he's the one to be praised and worshiped for who he is. And he gave his life up for us. He came, he left the glory of heaven, came down to this earth to suffer and die so that we could experience the presence of God in our own life. I think about Luke 17, 33, Jesus' words that if anybody wants to save his own life, in other words, if you're going to do whatever it takes to make yourself more comfortable, whatever the cost is, you're going to lose that life. What we need to do is a full surrender to the one who gave his life up for us. Because that's God's plan. That none should perish. But all would come to a saving knowledge of him. We have to be willing to let go of us and our own uh, kind of opinions of what we think God will do for us, can do for us, why we should have him in our life, and we should focus solely on the truth. What it is that, that he has done because of who he is. What's so uh, disturbing is upon uh, Peter's earlier confession, as I said. Jesus said, you, you didn't learn this from human thinking, but the Father revealed it to you. But Peter has shut that all off because all of a sudden now he's uncomfortable because it doesn't fit into his plan. We as humans are always looking for the easy road to victory, but Jesus made it really clear that it is going to be a dark and a difficult path. But I will stay strong because I know you can't. I'll be obedient because I know that no one on this earth can be. I will endure the worst of things and I will still stay true uh, to what the Father wants because I know that no one on this earth would be able to do it. And He became the complete and perfect sacrifice for our sins. This is why we praise Him. This is why we worship Him. This is why we bow to King Jesus for what He did and who He was. His focus was solely on the Father's plan and obedient, being obedient to it. Peter's focus was on his own plan and Jesus says it was scandalous. You are working against me in all of this. What we need to be intentional about, first of all, is, as Jesus said, we need to truly desire the mind of God to understand what it is that He is doing in this world. And the only way that we can understand that is by digging into His Word, studying it. And He promises us that He's given us. If we know Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. We have His power and His ability to understand His Word. And so we dig deep into it. And we speak it with our lives and into the lives of other people. And the more we study it, the more we understand it, the more we have what is known as a biblical worldview. In other words, we look at the world through Scripture to see why things are the way they are. And we understand how things can be healed. And we understand God's plan for what's going on in the world. And the more that we do that, the more we are willing to accept the things that come our way. And those things that do come our way that we feel are maybe we don't deserve, 
that we would consider to be suffering, which we're going to talk about uh, next week, that we can, we can also endure because God says we can because He's with us. May we be the kind of people that our intentionality is not just about uh, that we... Well, I, I started off with a really great desire, but then things happened around me and I just, I just never got around to following Jesus fully. I'm sure that when you uh, saw the title of the sermon, that saying probably popped into your head, right? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. There are a lot of people in this world that have a great intention of someday following Jesus. I'll get around to it. Maybe, but maybe not. Salvation is not something to get around to someday. Salvation is offered to us today, not not just to make our eternity better, but to make today better. Jesus came to rescue us today from our sin and, and, and to rescue us from our shame and our guilt he must do it because the Father said to. And, and God has promised that because of Christ's suffering and His death on the cross, all of that can be taken care of and you can have life abundant if you would just accept Jesus as our King. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for who You are. Thank You for loving us. Thank You for, uh, in the midst of God, so often, every day as we... We want to stray and we choose and make choices that don't fall in line with what your desire is for us. It's because of Jesus that we're still we're forgiven. I pray, Father, for anybody here today that has never made that decision to say, I, I need Jesus. I, I need to be freed of the weight that's on me. I need to be freed of a focus on this world. I need to believe in something and follow something bigger Father, may each and every one of us be obedient to that call. May we go all in with our hearts. More than just intention, God, but action. We thank you, we love you, we praise you. Amen.